everyone. Welcome to uh, episode 50 of the Back to Front show. Um, 14th of September 2018, Kieran. That was our last confession. How have you been? It's like we've never been away. Never been away. Not much has been going on either, really. It's um, Not really, no. What's happened? In- it's been a quiet news year. Yeah. I mean, pff, no politics, no... Um, yeah, everyone's well. It's great. It's uh, No world events. Nothing happened. I've not really been anywhere. I've uh, not really done anything. Um, but um, It's not like you. I know. Well, yeah. EasyJet suddenly isn't all that appealing, uh, a prospect in uh, 2020. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. <clears throat> Talking of which, how's your lockdown been? Um, which one? Well, uh, let's start with hash <laughs> one. One or two? Let's start with hash one. Okay, we'll do, we'll, we'll do the original. Um, the original was actually, uh, you know, very, I was very lucky, really. Very pleasant. Um, very good weather, sitting in the garden. Um Having child at home and working was an interesting challenge. Yes, quite, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, really not, you know, as one of my friends pointed out, I was kind of, kind of been locked down for 10 years. Well, so. I think you pointed that out yourself, really. Yeah, you've been, you've been well, in training. I think it was Doug. Doug. Doug was the original, the, 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 um, the original person who pointed that out, yeah. I have been in training for about a decade. And so... All this hard, um, you know, hard training that you have done, preparing for mm. something that you didn't know was going to happen. I mean, uh, how yeah. did you fare? You, uh, you know, you, you. Well, I wouldn't like to call myself a prepper. Well, but, but or uh, tin hatter, <laughs> tin hatter. Um, yeah, I think I think it's well, like everyone. It's been an interesting time, but it's um, the first lockdown. I think was um, was in some ways. A lot easier than the second, oddly, mm. because um, it just felt like, oh, you know, you know what we're in for again this time. Yeah, we uh, um, kind of got used to those very, very, very slight freedoms of uh, being able to go to the uh, to the shop that doesn't sell essential goods. Yes, or sit in a pub garden. Yes, well, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't <laughs> wait to, to do that. I was uh, chomping at the bit six a.m. as soon as the Weatherspoons in Bath opened. I was. <laughs> I was there with the racing post, but um, you were twelve deep at the bar, twelve deep into pints by seven a.m. Absolutely, <laughs> I was a bit shocked there. I've got to be honest with you. I thought by April you would have at least written the kind of definitive remote working guide because um, it seemed <laughs> that that was the thing that we had to do. Content was going to save the world, and remote work uh, guides were the thing that um, you know kickstarted that uh, content saving the world yeah. movement. Um, have you any advice for anyone who's considering remote working in 2021, Kieran? Well, yes, I have. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I've um, I've witnessed my fair share of the pain and struggle that it is to sit in your pajamas at home mm. um, and work in front of a computer. And obviously, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about how difficult that has been for it them. It has. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, the isolation of only seeing people 12 times a day on a Slack call. Mm. Um, or a Zoom call, should I say. A Zoom's the, Zoom's the, the new well, here's Slack. here's the thing. Like, Zoom's been around for how long? A decade? We never use Zoom. Probably. And then all of a sudden, no. it's a verb. Well, it's because, I think it's because people realised that it was actually reliable. Yeah, it stood up. Stood up to the stress test. It did. The pyjama working. Yeah. Even though it is a piece of UX nightmare, isn't it? Do you think? It's a hellscape. Do you think? Yeah, it's horrible. Really? Yeah, I can never find anything. I'm always on mute. I'm always... Hang on, we're slipping into the territory of um, of sounding like the people that I was just mocking. I do think, though, that maybe in your case, it's people putting you on mute as a host. I mean, that's a quite, oh, that's probably, quite a nice feature, yeah, that's, right? that's true. Yeah, I'm quite the talker. Yeah, yeah, you're known for it. You're known for it. Actually, talking like 
Working in pajamas? No, never done it. You? Really? Do you work in pajamas? I mean, I don't really want to entertain the thought of you in pajamas, anyway. But no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't have any plaid pajamas, and therefore, you know, I wouldn't be at work unless I was well, wearing plaid. I, th- I think uh, we, we we could we could talk about pajamas. We have shared we have shared a hotel room once at Shopify Summit, and it was quite alarming yes. that we did both unpack and reveal that we had very similar night attire, almost as yes, if our true. respective wives had packed our bags knowingly. Which of course was yeah, not the or, case. Or spoken, spoken. Never, never let, never let anyone else pack your bag. But um, yeah, talking no. of which, uh, I think when we when we last um, adorned the airwaves for the Back to Front show, we were both still at Shopify. Oh, I could be wrong. No. 2018 September. Yes, we were. Surely. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was. Yeah. So um, we've both moved on since then, and um, yeah. Well, so what are you doing now? I mean, I know, but um, for the for the for the three people I mean, out there listening. Um, I'm still doing Shopify. <laughs> exactly. I'm just I'm just over the wall. They've thrown me over the wall. Thrown you to um, the wolves of the agency world. Yeah. <laughs> You're lending your API well, knowledge to the I great mean, actually, good. Actually, less less so the agency world these days, and more so the app developer world. But um, yeah, so I'm doing mainly app development consultancy. Um, the majority of my clients are companies who are maybe have a well-established product in a different space and want to access the Shopify ecosystem um, but don't have the technical expertise in-house. So it's mainly technical design work and then holding development teams' hands through the process of building on Shopify. Very good. Very good. Enjoying it? Good? Keeping you busy? Yeah, yeah. Really good. Yeah, really busy. Obviously, the world of e-commerce exploded in 2020. Um, So it's... um, it's been an interesting year, and um, it's uh, <laughs> it's been it's been fascinating to watch businesses where e-commerce was a um, maybe a back burner thing, you know, something that they did as well as a big wholesale offering, perhaps, or you know, perhaps they had a series of brick and mortar shops, and then suddenly during twenty twenty, e-commerce has come to the fore, and they're trying to solve quite a lot of different problems no, absolutely. based on their business model. I think it'll be very interesting to see uh, as we move through the the state of the world we're in at the moment, um, which of these sort of developments and accelerated kind of activities will stick, you know, in 2021, 2022. Yeah. Um, will, will the, and I hate the phrase, the new normal become normal or will shops, businesses... Um, revert back to offices will they you know will more people be you know going to stores will people um, mm. things that they would have gone into a shop for will they buy them online will more um, brands come online that maybe previously it was as you say a side offering but now will become the sort of mainstay it'll be very interesting to see and I think there's been an awful lot of predictions but um, as always time time will tell but um, yeah it doesn't seem to be going anywhere and I think um, if anything more players are coming in to challenge the sort of established e-commerce platforms as well and you know this yeah. uh, this year's sort of headless uh, again a terrible phrase um horrible yeah. uh, has come to the fore i think people are, are plugging different systems together in a way that they've never done before so it will um yeah be interesting to see how it all develops and whether we'll be yeah. talking in terms of curbside and local delivery um, for years to come or whether it'll just be um, shipping, you know. So, yeah, yeah see, see where we go with that. But you've also um, had some sad news. And um, for, for listeners out there who are familiar with the show, uh, it was a very sad day, but the tiny house is no more. The tiny house is no more, yes. We we moved between the lockdowns. Yeah, you crazy people. I mean, I've read, <laughs> that, you know, in the Red Top newspapers, you read about people like this. 
Yeah, I know. But um, I won't say it wasn't a stressful process. It was, wasn't it? It was, it was yeah. Even for it a seasoned, moving veteran like your good self. Yeah, it's true. And the, um, yeah, the sort of the jeopardy levels, um, you know, felt like sort of grand designs levels of jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me you bought a plot um, of land and you built your house. Is that what you're telling me? I'd love to, but no, no, no I haven't. No, I just moved. But the, um, yeah, the new office is an interior office as opposed to down the bottom of my Which garden. It's risky. Like the Poddington Peas. It's risky, isn't it? It is. It's risky. It is. That door but is... But I have to say, it's quite nice being able to access tea and coffee and a toilet without having to walk through the rain. I was going to say, to I was having house. visions of you just sat in that tiny house for like eight hours without beverage or relief. That wasn't actually the well, case, I had a, was it? I had an espresso machine you for did. a while down there. You so, did. Did yeah. you have a mini fridge? I can't but remember. I, no, no mini fridge. But I used to run out of water, which was a frustration. It's not easy being you. It's not easy being you. But no. um, anyway, how about you? What have you been doing? Because you left Shopify before me. Oh yeah, I did leave Shopify before you. Yes, you I did. left at the end of 2018. Um, did you? Yes, December 2018. Oh so goodness. not long after the last confession. Um, what have I been doing? Lots of things, I think. Um, but mostly um, similar to yourself, remained in the Shopify ecosystem, and have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been working with agencies and app companies also, a lot around sort of marketing, positioning, um, sort of micro copy for app store listings, all of that kind of stuff, as well as doing, um, working with some sort of agency founders, I guess, more on that kind of advisory, mentory, uh, me a mentor, I mean, it's ridiculous, um, coaching kind of um, aspect, which I find really, really interesting. I think I've always been fascinated by uh, other people's businesses and the challenges and I think what you will find, um, as we both know from our own endeavors, that it's actually, it's everything other than the work that's the, the challenge, right? It's the, um, yeah. it's the people, it's the, the unexpected turns, it's the kind of, um, you know, as I say, curveballs, people, cash flow, all of these things, you know, pitching, pricing, all, all of the good stuff. And um, yeah, I've been privileged to work with two or three people over the last year on a one-to-one basis, sort of tackling all of these things and, and seeing how we can move things forward. So it's been um, been really good. But um, yeah, increasingly much more at that kind of consultancy level, um, diving in sort of each week with with businesses and um, sort of been that kind of critical foil. And, and um, So has that mainly been um, with founders and um, that kind of thing? Yeah. So, you know, I've been doing the same sort of thing with technical leads, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So sort more. of agency founders, um two or three of those, and then um, a couple of product teams, not, not unlike yourself. So typical scenario might be uh, we have product X that's doing really well in vertical Y. How do we get into the Shopify ecosystem? Or should we get into the Shopify ecosystem? Things like that. And then if we do, yeah. how, how are we different? How do we position ourselves? Um, and then as well as like, you know, working with established um, app companies as well on sort of some of their marketing strategy. And, um, you know, how do we how do we work out what people like about our products so we've done kind of qualitative surveys and quantitative surveys and um all of this kind of stuff so it's it's been yeah been really eye-opening i think uh, 2019 was um let's try let's try stuff and see what sticks will anyone want to work with yeah. me and then <clears throat> the plan for 2020 was to consolidate in certain areas but uh as with all things um experience this year it's been a bit topsy-turvy uh and throw into that we bought an app Definitely. in the middle of it so um yes we did we formed a company and bought an app <laughs> so we're 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 dog fooding as they say in the trade uh, as they say Which in the valley. I, it actually has been really useful i don't know about you from your perspective but certainly from mine in understanding the pain 
that a lot of app developers go through, right? I think it's been eye-opening to the degree of complexity that being uh, a Shopify app um, owner and, uh, I was about to say runner, that doesn't make sense, someone who runs an app who deals with the customers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also the pain of um, consolidating the number of apps you have installed with the <laughs> your own database against Shopify. All of these things are, are coming to the fore. Yes. Which, um, you know, whilst it's washing its face, is great. Um, and we're learning a lot, but um, I think it's also highlighted that uh, yeah, it's hard to grow these things. It's uh, it's difficult. The cash cow that maybe at the app ecosystem was is, is no longer the case. And anyway, uh, apologies for the uh, the mild interlude in uh, fidelity. There, we, uh, <laughs> my Wi-Fi just dropped out. It's great, isn't it? The, the joys yes. of working in your pajamas. Yeah, working at home. Anyway, anyway, I'll tell you what I've done, uh, apart from quite a lot of homeschooling and my, my, you know, I actually might know what a pronoun is now, but um, don't hold me to it, is um, I've gone down a bit of a rabbit warren of uh, computer history. I sort oh, of really? dug out, yeah, yeah, which um, That's I don't really think... That's my territory, isn't it? Well, I was about to say, I'm not sure it's something you know much about, Kieran. Um, <laughs> although having seen the, <laughs> the, the pre-move tiny house packing, uh, it did yes. seem that you have like... Uh, Probably the one of the largest collections of outdated technology in the southwest of the UK. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I want to, to claim that crown, but um, I you would. Can, I, can, <laughs> I can certainly say that there were eighteen boxes with the word retro written on them. Yeah, yeah, retro. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been going down a bit of a rabbit warren. I don't know if it's like you know I'm trying to hark back to times before twenty twenty when life was so <laughs> better times and simple, but. Um, yeah, I watched. Um, I'll tell you where it started. I think it started with um, uh, as we we're all binging box sets, and I um, I was chatting to I think it was um, who was it Steve Steve Jones, our friend from uh, uh, a very Welsh name, but he's not Welsh. It's, uh, but uh, he was um, we were chatting, and we, he was telling me that he was a big fan of uh, Alt uh, Halt and Catch Fire, and I was like, oh, yeah. oh, I started that. Have you seen it? I haven't. No, no. Unbelievable. I think you'd like it. Yeah. Um, I started the first couple of episodes, and it's a bit like, say, a Mad Men, which I'm also rewatching, or, or, or The Sopranos. It felt quite slow, and I hadn't quite got over the sort of third episode hump. But I thought, well, mm. you know, I've, uh, there's only so much Real Housewives you can watch, so <laughs> let's, let's, let's go in for something else. So I started to, to, to dive back into season one, which starts, I think, in the early 80s when they're trying to create this kind of IBM clone down in Texas with this kind yeah. of Jobs-esque character. And then it charts all the way through uh, over the, I think it's four seasons, um, Stan correct on that, through to the sort of mid, uh, mid-90s when we were kind of, you know, just just pre-browser war, when we were having Netscape and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it, just, it, it kind of like um, got me thinking about those early days of early computing. And uh, from there, I think I've watched, um, you know, the Ashton Kutcher Jobs movie. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> I have, yeah, yeah. It, it, the gate, the walk, very strange, right? He seems to walk in, it, but apparently that's how Jobs walked. But it, yeah, it did, yeah. did feel somewhat I think, I think he recreated that quite well. Um, so there was that, and then there was the uh, Michael um, Fassbender. I, I'm sure I've pronounced that incorrectly. Fassbender? Yeah, I haven't seen that one. The uh, Which was good, which which evolved around um, launches, just three launches and the sort of... Um, there was the original Mac launch in 84. There was the next computer not the cube i think it was a computer one uh and then was it the imac and so it's and, mm-hmm. and all these different personalities from from the sort of apple history coming into that that, w- that was quite interesting 
Um, but I guess what was more interesting for me was definitely your territory, and you can tell us a bit more about this. Um, I watched the history of Atari, which I had yeah. no idea was kind of bought by Warner, Warner Communications, mm-hmm. and, and became, and then Viva Amiga and the Commodore story. Yeah. Um, really, really fascinating time. So um, yeah, I was just I thought it was, it, it's sometimes nice to go back and have a look at these things and sort of see where it all came from. There was another one. Um, on Netflix as well, I believe, which is all about gaming, the history of gaming, which I kind of yeah. delved That's into That's not King of well. Kong, is it? That's a, there's another one. King of Kong's the one about, about the guy who was the sort of championship King Kong, um, Donkey Kong, sorry, player. I've not seen um, that one. Yeah, so that, that's 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 a really good documentary. But there's another one that's in the same vein as that. That's mainly about the kind of like you know the early arcade era. Mm. That's on Netflix was- at the moment. Um, but yeah, the, the we we're, uh, you know I think I said to you um, off air at one point that we're really lucky at the moment. There's a huge resurgence in this stuff. Um, that's obviously making the price of retro computers ridiculous, but that's another story. Um, the uh, but the in terms of telling the story of these people um, and the sort of contribution they made to early computing, particularly home computing, I find fascinating. The the Viva Amiga documentary, the Commodore Story documentary, they're they're both, you know, given that's my, you know, my childhood was Amiga and Commodore, um, Mm. with a little bit of Atari sprinkled in there somewhere. Um, That was fascinating to me to see what those sort of early pioneers, if you want to call them that, were doing. um, Absolutely. And how they really sort of came up with the architecture of the home computer, you know. It, it strikes me as well, just, I mean, compared to what we have now, uh, <laughs> even though you know, not everything is as reliable as we think it is. Wi-Fi does drop out as we've just experienced. But yeah. like, how kind of basic it all looked. And, but, but then you see this kind of, from the early 70s through to the sort of mid-80s, just the, the advancement in, in sort of chip technology. And also this, this and, and it's again a bit like the Mac story, if you've ever you know, read anything about the... Um, history of the Mac in terms of how they, you know, obviously a lot of it's kind of allegedly appropriated from Xerox Park and all of this kind of stuff, but has a very small team of people doing very exceptional things like these yeah. these individuals, you know, one guy creating a chip layout that became the chip to end all chips that was in all of these early sort of home computers. Um, yeah. Same with the, with the Mac, like Bill Atkinson writing all this kind of algorithms for, you know, moving windows and, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, it just doesn't feel that those people exist anymore everything seems like on a much grander scale it's looking back it seems quite staggering that these small teams of yeah of, of you know geniuses i guess were, were creating these things that became kind of world beating you know home computers yeah, and it's amazing to me that you can find people amongst those people who have careers who influenced really quite you know um significant parts of computing and video games market throughout their career at different times. So there's people like Jay Miner who started life at Atari and basically designed the chipset for all their 8-bit computers and then was the sort of father of the Amiga and designed everything, you know, designed the Amiga from the ground up along with a small team. Um, Mm. And then that technology was taken on by the team that worked with him and, you know, ended up in the Atari Lynx for example, because they were all kind of like moving between companies and stuff. So the architecture that was in one machine, you know, ended up in another machine um, a couple of years down the line. 
the the Amiga almost didn't happen. Is that right? They they were kind of running yeah. out of money and almost almost got bought by Atari, but then ended up by so they had they basically owed Atari. They borrowed money from Atari, and the deal was that they didn't pay them back by a certain date. They um they would own the company basically, yeah. um, which yeah. is probably the biggest gamble you could possibly make. I think it was quite a small amount of money. Well, to us now, it's like eighty it was like grand a, or something. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I had a hundred thousand dollars in my yeah. head, but maybe that's wrong. Yeah, it was eighty grand, I think, and um, it was literally, you know, a last-minute deal that saved them and allowed them to write a check for eighty grand and dump it at reception or something. Was the story? So, yeah, Atari. exactly. <laughs> so, so um, they ended up at, at Commodore. Commodore. So, yeah, yeah. And so the Amiga. I mean, why? Why did the Amiga kind of die? What happened? Why? Why are these? <laughs> You know, when um, we're looking back at these great, you know, I, I know Atari was a different company by the time of the ST, but it was, you know, these were kind of, I remember these being around in the 80s. The, you, you know, yeah. you either had an Amiga or you had an Atari ST, yeah. uh, or you had a BBC Micro B that didn't do anything as exciting yes, as yeah, either yeah. of those things. Exactly. But it was um, educational. It was educational, yes. You would learn yeah. how to do, you know, print, yeah, print here, 10, yeah. 20 go to 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think. Um, to start at the beginning of the Atari, with Amiga, they had the Amiga 1000, or it was just called the Amiga at that point. Um, and the Amiga 1000 was like kind of the first multimedia computer. It was the first thing that was designed to have, you know, a chip that was responsible for music, a chip that was responsible for graphics, a blitter, you know, all these different pieces of the puzzle that were required, were required to display animation on the screen or to do 3D work or to, you know, um, for example, to um, edit video. So it was the first machine that was capable of that. Right. Um, and that was J, sort of J minor's genius, I suppose. And then um, that machine was incredibly expensive, as you can imagine because it was very small production numbers. And that's where Commodore stepped in when they obviously saw the opportunity. Um, and um, really, in North America, the Amiga was considered to be a multimedia machine. And mm. in Europe, the Amiga, the sort of cost-reduced versions of the Amiga, the Amiga 500, the Amiga um, 600, Amiga 1200, they were all considered to be sort of primarily games machines because the games market just exploded, because it was such a good multimedia um, computer. Um, so they were they had very divided markets, and the marketing teams didn't really know how to position the computer. That's the story, anyway. Okay. Um, and um, the marketing team were busy in North America trying to um, position it as a business machine, as a machine to you know combat Apple and to combat IBM, because um, they saw that's where the market was going. And meanwhile, in in Britain and Germany and Italy particularly, um, and Scandinavia, they were um, just selling, you know, millions of Amiga 500s and 500 Pluses which, as, as kids' games machines. And that's why, that's why I came across them first, you know. Um, and um, there was a couple of things that killed them. Um, there was the CDTV, which I think the what? probably the CD TV. It was basically an Amiga twelve hundred in a black box with a CD drive that you put under your television, oh, and it okay. was an attempt to be like, "Hey, we're part of your, you know, black goods stack or whatever the you know expression uh, so was yeah. back then." You yeah, know, yeah. you've got your VCR, you've got your CD TV. You know, it's an entertainment machine, and that was incredibly expensive and didn't didn't stick. Um, and then the thing that. Uh, then they brought out the Amiga 600, and the Amiga 600 was just not 
it was a cost another cost reduced version of the Mega 500 Plus in a nicer looking case, a smaller case. And at that point, PCs were starting to hit the market. So, what um, year are we talking now? So we're up in the nineties. So we're, I think I, I think the six hundred was ninety four. Yeah, um, this was the era where you could kind of almost, you know, I remember there was a company in the UK, the Gateway or Time, and you could buy yeah. for like $700, you'd get, £700, sorry, you'd get, you know, a, a monitor, a, a tower, a keyboard, a mouse, a suite that you could write, you know. 1,200 games sitting on a 1,200 games, stack. a printer, yeah. you know, and it was, yeah. it, it was peanuts, really. It was. They weren't great, and, <laughs> but... And, and the thing that was really a real killer was that... Um, PCs had caught up in terms of having a, a sound card and having a graphics mm. card, and you know the first, it probably wasn't called Voodoo back by then, but the first Voodoo cards were starting to arrive and things. So 3D was a, becoming a thing. A bit more open architecture, right? People could start building their own towers. You could swap things out. in and out. Yeah. But the Amiga was always extensible. You could always like add bits to the side and plug stuff in the back and everything, and you know break it open and put a hard disk in. But it was it was um, because of the wedge form factor. It was very limiting, whereas the big mm. box um, was a different scenario. Anyway, um, so they came out with this cost-reduced version yet again. So it was basically just a, a poor product decision. Um, and that was because the um, managing director of uh, Commodore, sorry, Amiga Europe, had said, we want a games machine that can be um, marketed to lower-income families. So they, uh, I think they, they go over that. this, don't they? And V for Amiga, the, the, they the, do. The, yeah, the, um, the David Pleasance is the guy's name. Yeah, and um, but what ultimately killed it was the CD32, which ironically got some I, naming issues here. I think <laughs> it's like the CD32 was a consoleized version of the 1200, um, and was a lovely console, but they went to market too soon with the marketing material they didn't have it was a christmas launch didn't have enough units for christmas oh yes this is covered yeah, um, yeah. and then after christmas they um there wasn't the, the you know things like the uh, ps1 arrived uh, so the ps1 launched on the same it wasn't called the ps1 then the playstation um launched um the same year and in comparison the you know the games offering was far superior and Really, in classic Commodore fashion, they had rebundled a bunch of old games and called them CD32 games. So people who already had a 1200 had already played the games. Um, right. So that was really the sort of death throes. It was, you know, trying to make, make the console market work for them. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because if you look at sort of Apple in the 90s as well, it was it was very confused, but somehow they rode, mm. rode that out. But, you know, there's, there's a, a clearly a long history of leading manufacturers and sort of you know developers out there who've created stuff but yeah they just it gets confused right that what what initially made yeah. them great doesn't carry them through and you know um amiga commodore atari all of these names they're, they're big names if you've been in and around as sort of technology for for a while but um yeah that, i mean the, the viva amiga that was a kickstarter project is your name in the credits was originally was. yeah so there's a director called um zach weddington who who, who made that movie um and uh yeah, he's. I think he. He. I don't know. He always used Kickstarter, but at least the the two projects I'm aware of, he's used Kickstarter to back it. Great. Yeah. Just one more that's worth, and I'm not sure you've seen this one, but some one that I um, found and dug out was a, a project, um, a film called um, Gen- about General Magic, 
which was a company that was formed by a bunch of ex-Apple, um, well, principally the Mac team, um, uh, Bill Atkinson, Andy Hertzfeld. And they, mm-hmm. they, they, they basically created what first handheld kind of mobile sort of personal computer, you know, years before what became, before the iPhone came out. Yeah. And it just charts this journey um, of like, developing and they you know they had money they were funded they were in california there were these these names that had um you know become sort of lauded through their work on the mac and they're really sort of pushing the boundaries and, and you, you can see them you can see them you know coding away you can see them coming up with these things what the handset design looks like um to what ultimately became a, a failed product it didn't work it kind of came out entirely the wrong time it was you know, uh, certain networks, as in telcos, didn't take it up and all of this kind of stuff. But it, it's Ooh. a fascinating insight into that sort of early 90s um, development, um, you know, mindset of these people. Um, but at the end, they do this this thing um, about where, where everyone's ended up. And it is literally incredible. Like, you know, the 10 or 12 people they cover in it have all gone on to do amazing things. It was kind of yeah. this like hotbed of... Um, thought and ideas and and, and um, I think one of the most um, interesting ones is an up is it Tony Fidel yeah who created Nest right. um, who then obviously I think got bought out by Google for like many billions of dollars but he joins as this kind of fresh faced twenty something very early twenties um, like you know under the tutelage of these kind of you know rock stars dare I say it of, of that world and um, he's sort of looking back on that sort of. 20, 20 years, 30 years later, and it's sort of how pivotal it was for him and, yeah. and, and many others. And actually on YouTube, there's a panel um, where they they, they, they they premiered it in San Francisco and there's a sort of panel discussion after the premiere where all these characters are sitting around and, you know, they're all in their 60s now. It's quite funny, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, these and they're, they're sort of talking about this time. And it is, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting how um, these, these companies... Many, he said, I think it's like the greatest company you've never heard of, but all the ideas that came out of it. And I think that's what captivated me is just sort of looking back with all the stuff yeah. we take for granted. I mean, the Mac's now 36 years old and it's got a fascinating history. Um, yes. And um, yeah, very, very uh, worthwhile watching some of those, those programs. So I'll link up in the show notes the Apple movies, the sort of dramatized versions of those. There's Viva Amiga, The Commodore Story, Holt and the Catch Fire, uh, General Magic. Um, the Atari story and, and and a couple of others. Uh, I think you were going to mention one more we had um, that's a yeah, current, so uh, Kickstarter project. Tangentially create, uh, related. It's not cu- it's not current now, so it's um it's just finished. But I think they're still taking pre-orders. If you want to um, jump in on it, um, basically it's the same director as Viva Amiga, um, and it's called Arcade Dreams, and it's taking a step, probably a step back in time from. The, the the Amiga um, story um, a little bit because the Amiga story is probably eighty five onwards and this is sort of starting maybe in the sort of late late seventies early eighties and dealing with you know arcade fever I guess mm. you know the sort of the growth of arcade cabinets and um, the whole world that, that then spawned and and ultimately its demise right like you know there's the really um, interesting bit in the in the teaser that they put together which is where it says you know they're just not coming through the doors anymore and it's yeah. kind of the it's kind of the, it's the Nintendo Entertainment System era where suddenly the NES landed and people it wasn't even a SNES that. then was it it was a NES it was a NES yeah um, nothing super about it. <laughs> 
Um, or the Super Famicom, or Famicom as it was in Japan. Um, That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I think um, I think it's definitely worth you know checking out if you're interested in this kind of stuff because um, Zach certainly made a great um, a great movie with um, Viva Amiga, and I think this will be just as great. I'm I'm a backer. You are a backer. Yes, I. Um, it harks me back as well to the classic computer. Uh, mid eight, early eighties, nineteen eighty three, I think it was. Uh, film War Games, of course, which uh, yes. has to go down as as a, as a classic Matthew Broderick film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three D tic tac toes never look so enticing um, to stop a nuclear war just by getting the cross in the right square. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that sort of that I was. I mean, I didn't really do arcades. Did you do arcades? Did they have arcades? No, I mean, I, it wasn't accessible to me at all. Like, I've got friends who lived on the on the south coast and stuff, and they were big arcade fans and things. But I, you know, the, the closest I got to an arcade was stopping at a service station, and there was, you know, a Sega Rally, and I would like lust after it and then be dragged, you know, to get a sandwich from Sainsbury's or something. You didn't want to put like fifty p in that little motorbike that sort of rocked back and forward. You went straight for the Sega <laughs> that Rally. That wasn't really what I was, you know, getting excited about, but. Um, I love the fact that so much of that stuff, the sort of light gun stuff and all that stuff came out of mm. um, the arcade. That's really, from a technology point of view, really interesting. Um, there's a big resurgence in the light gun movement at the moment, but obviously everyone struggles with the fact we don't have CRTs. There's nothing to bounce the beam off of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some, some really interesting stuff on the, on the gaming history on that uh, Netflix documentary, which, um, forgive me, I've forgotten the title of now, but we can put it in yeah, the I show notes. Yeah, I have too, yeah. Um, all about how the kind of the expansion pack and how this little company of three people built um, basically a board that you could plug into these arcade machines that sort of like you know added a whole bunch of functionality to um, oh Siri 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 you're meant to be off please I have the Irish Siri voice incidentally <laughs> very soothing um, yeah how and they ended up sort of getting getting sued by by Atari because they they built yeah. on top of one of the Space Invader ones but. Um, so, so what about just sort of rounding out the the kind of the, the retro kit movement of today? I mean, you've obviously mm. got eighteen boxes of retro stuff. What's what's the attraction? How how uh, how buoyant is this market? Is it is it sort oh, of nostalgic, or are people doing interesting stuff with it? Yeah, so it's, it's a combination. So since lockdown hit, there uh, the you know the price of retro gear has gone frankly insane. You know, like just. Um, machines that maybe I bought a couple of years ago are now, you know, unattainable in terms of um, their, you know, the cost on eBay. Um, so it's, it's really exploded. and that, But I think that's, that is something that will die down as we move into normality or whatever. Um, but there is, a, there is a side to the retro um, community, if you want to call it that, that is actually doing some really interesting things, particularly around saving machines that are potential ticking time bombs so Mm. um removing you know vata batteries for example that leak and corrode the boards and kill the machine um recapping the machines to um get you know change the capacitors which also leak electrolytic fluid onto the board and kill them um but also so that's the sort of restoration piece of it but then there's also, and also the restoration piece of CRTs, you know, no one makes CRTs anymore. So there's a lot of people buying dead CRTs and fixing them, um, which is obviously a high voltage thing to be doing. <laughs> so don't try that at home. Um, but the uh, the bit that I find fascinating is the people who are creating modern technology to plug into your retro technology. 
Mm. Um, so they're building accelerator cards or they're building um, RAM expansions or they're building network cards or graphics cards for these old machines to enable you to effectively use them in 2020. Really? Um, yeah, and there's a huge software movement going along with that. So new games come out for the Amiga, feels like monthly now, um, and new um, productivity software does as well. And a lot of people are building drivers and um, software to go with those pieces of hardware. Um, so all my Amigas, for example, are online, which they, you know, back in the day they would have been if you'd had them in the late nineties, for example. Oh, but, really? it via, but it would have been via a modem, right? Not via a network card or whatever necessarily. So how do you how do you browse the internet? What what kind of browsers do you use on these? <laughs> these so devices? it's um it's pretty rudimentary stuff. So I use them mainly for FTP because it's really easy for getting stuff on and off of the machine. Um, so you've got a local network attached storage, and you just basically run an FTP server on that, and that means you can jump on and grab any files you need. Um, I occasionally run things like IRC or whatever if I want to join an Amiga channel on IRC, but um, primarily it's for like file transfer, just making life easier, so you don't have to like you know put everything off floppies or whatever. Um, the web browsing experience is pretty poor on a on a classic machine like a five hundred or a. 1200 there's a there's a um, browser called iBrowse that was around That's back in the day and it, and it has had occasional updates and aweb is another one um they until about two or three years ago didn't support ssl so that's uh. been one of the things people have, have patched and fixed but the main thing is you'll get a very 1990s browsing experience because most websites will look pretty broken because it's modern css and javascript that don't, doesn't run but I bet um, the marquee works. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if you go to like Aminet or one of the the old forums that have been around since the nineties, they look beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Well, if you want to join a BBS, if you want to join a BBS, that's the way forward. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, good stuff. So we'll 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 link some of that um, that those things up for sure. If anyone yeah. wants to go down the rabbit warren, I I don't have any old tech. I'm not a hoarder of. Uh, Tech, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Uh, you've got some great Apple tech as well. You've got the you've got the cube. You've got you've got various got a other cube bits behind me there. Yeah, yeah with was that a twelve inch screen or something? You've got. Yeah, have you got the one the that's t- got the, the the iMac with the, the the weird army thing and the sort of spherical base? Oh no, the the iMac that that had the half football type base with yeah the, with the arm. Cool. I had one of those back in the day, but I've not I've not got one now. No, they're cheap. You probably get one of those for thirty quid. Really. You see, Maybe jump into that market. That. Maybe we'll, we'll make that the next boom. <laughs> well, yeah, you never know. You never know. But, um, well, clearly, we've been spending our lockdown uh, in historical mode. And uh, I've uh, yeah. definitely in- enjoyed sort of learning a lot more about the um, the history of that. You kindly sent me a book as well. Um, we should link I that. Did. What was that? What's um, That's Retro Neil. Tea so, yeah, Neil um, from RMC. Um, RMC is a channel on YouTube, um, all dedicated to the stuff we've been talking about. Um, and there's also a huge YouTube community of people doing this, you know, fixing old computers and stuff. But Neil's particularly interested in kind of the historical aspect of things, a bit like you've been talking about with the documentaries. And he's been doing, he has, um, his normal YouTube channel and then he has a series within that called Retro Tea Breaks. Right. And, um, those, are essentially him sitting down with a cup of tea and talking to someone who is actually probably not very well known outside of um, the retro world, but um, had a huge impact on, you know, 
the games industry or you know you know maybe they maybe they wrote the music for alien breed or lotus turbo challenge or they you know were the pixel artist on cannon fodder um so these are guys and Mm. girls who were there during the time you know they were there they were there they were working in the industry at the time and it's sort of just documenting their story really I like the way you described it. It's like some some guy above a, a greasy spoon in Telford who happened yeah. to create a, yeah. a, you know, a world-renowned <laughs> you know, you know, theme tune for a game or something. You know, which is, it is, um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to diving into that, and we'll definitely put that... Uh, I think you said that was a Kickstarter as well, wasn't it? it was to be yes, a- that was a Kickstarter a while ago now. He's... he's- shipped the kickstarter and now i think there's you know you just a handful of books available on um his stock on his shop you know the, the stuff that didn't get shipped for the kickstarter project yeah definitely definitely well i think we've, we've rabbited on uh down the well we've been down the rabbit warren and rabbited on for, for for a good sort of 20 minutes about um about this but it is yeah it's fascinating stuff and i think um it's always interesting to chart you know where we've ended up and how you know so how revolutionary appreciate how revolutionary things like the mouse or you know touch yeah. screens were i mean it almost felt like technologies for technology's sake like how is anyone ever going to use this what you know i've got yeah i can dial into a bbs i mean what am i going to i mean they they go over that in halt and catch fire so it, it, it's really interesting and you'd love that there's a lot of commodore c64s in there so uh, you know nice. <laughs> if you've got a break oh, over yeah over over christmas check it out but um we should probably wrap it up but i did want to um i, I did want to sort of round out we haven't got any dog tech i mean i've, I've recently well, i say recently it's about 18 months now i've got a cat so i've been cat a bit tech. more on the lookout for cat tech but i haven't really found any we do have some very basic sort of cat feeders that you can time to to open up if you there must be you, cat tech if you if you travel right not that we've been away at all no. but um uh, but you can only, it's only two it's only two little bowls that you can set for sort of 48 hour timers mm. um, and the food goes dry it's not great there must be some cat tech so if anyone's listening with some great cat tech I'd we want zoom interested. for cats is there a zoom for cats there's probably zoom for cats you must what be able to think? dial in and talk to your cat at home surely that must be a thing I would think so but um, on a recent uh, socially distant present run to, to, to London uh, where we literally drove seven and a half hour round trip to leave presents on a doorstep as is as is the world we live in it did occur to me that there is one phenomenon that i've never really considered mm. how it actually happens but graffiti on motorway bridges oh i mean a it's massive it's always words it's always some yeah. kind of slogan and it's always the correct way up but i've mm-hmm. never ever in all my motorway driving ever seen anyone dangling over the edge of a motorway bridge, writing, I don't know, help, or something about Bojo, or I don't know, <laughs> some other... I mean, I should have written them down, because there was one the other day, and I just thought, you've, you've written hello. Do you think someone's really? dangling over the edge of a bridge on a rope, or do you think it's all but done upside are, down? These are big letters, right? They must be, because it's yeah. perspective. I mean, these bridges are big. They must be sort of 10, 12 foot high. Yeah. I mean, someone's going to spot that, right? If we're the yeah. most CCTV country in the world, most of those have got to be on motorways. <laughs> like, why? Why when I get the motorway report on the on the news in the morning with some, and I never understood why they send a reporter to stand on a bridge looking at the motorway to tell you it's busy when we could just look at the camera. But yeah. <laughs> you don't see someone hanging off in full paint attire, spray gun. Who's doing it? Any ideas, Kieran? No. I mean, 
my four, soon to be five year old son would probably quite hang, happily hang off a bridge to do anything. But I think once you get to a certain age and that fear kicks in, I don't think I'd be anywhere near um, a motorway bridge leaning over the barrier. I mean, as as Mark, uh, you know, advanced as uh, the unit is, um, this does look the work of someone you know older than five. Older, yeah. Yeah. I just don't know how you get over the like the potential for dropping into oncoming traffic. It's not going to be good, is it? I mean, no. imagine dropping your spray can. That's going to hurt. I know. I mean, hmm. but anyway, if anyone has any ideas or yeah, if anyone has know, any if, insights, maybe maybe, maybe someone's a bit really more obvious. street than us. Well, or motorway. Yeah. Yeah, not street. I mean, highway. I don't know. Highway. Yeah, if you're more highway than we are, we'd love to know. I think it's um, one of those life's mysteries. I mean, you know. There's some on the way through Bristol again. It's it's one of those different bridges. It's like a blue, the blue metal bridge. bridge. Yeah, I've seen that one. That, that had a Boris Johnson related. It does, um, and, and but it's it. very current as well. It's not like aging graffiti. This is like no. So what happens if you want to then redo it? Do you then have to paint? The, maybe that, I mean, maybe what they do is they wait for the council to paint it out and then they come back. They put the base coat back on. Off we yeah. go again. Clean canvas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You just need a Banksy on it, and then that bridge will be worth millions. Yeah, but no one um, will touch it. They put, no one will touch it. Put. That's another one. I mean, Banksy seems to get away with all this graffiti, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he can graffiti my house, but um, he never has. But he's supposed to be local. Who knows? But anyways, if anyone has any ideas about how graffiti ends up the right way round and reads left to right on motorway bridges, please write into the usual address. But anyways, um, no promises that we'll be back within two years. But who knows? You never know. It's been cathartic. You know. I've enjoyed it. And yeah. um, the uh, you know the deep research and um, preparation for this episode hopefully is appreciated. Yes. Yeah. The, anyway, uh, the weeks of prep. The weeks of prepping. Oh, sorry, no, we're not talking about that. But um, hopefully, uh, come uh, next year, we uh, you know our blue roll stocks and uh, tins will um, be keeping us fed and uh, clean, and we'll have something else to talk about. But until then, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.